Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, let's do this. Corey Joseph, intro us in. Hey, this is Corey Joseph, and you listen to the Mobile Syrup Podcast. Syrup Cast episode 60, or if you prefer, lost episode 57. I'm your host, uh, Igor Benapasic, and on this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about vaping, Bitcoin, and hoverboards. No, 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 we're not. Thankfully, we're going to be talking about Mobile uh, World Congress. Uh, across from me is uh, Patrick O'Rourke, Senior Editor at Mobile Syrup, and he was he just came back from Barcelona, Spain. Patrick, how are you? I'm good. I'm very, very tired. I got back really late last night. There's a huge like time difference between Barcelona and here, yeah. so I've been running on very little sleep over the last couple of days. But it was fun. It was a good experience. Um, so before we jump right into like the tech, do you want to talk a bit about the conference itself? How was it? Um, your impressions? Uh, the city itself as well? Yeah, I've I've covered a lot of um, I guess you would say large scale press conferences before, like GDC, E3, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I would sort of compare Mobile World Congress to GDC. It's very much mm-hmm. a business-focused thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dudes running around staring at their phones in suits that look very busy and very important. Yeah. Um, so as a journalist, and we're obviously a consumer tech site primarily, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to find stories worth covering. Um, and it's huge. It's enormous. It's one of the biggest events that I've ever covered. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in Barcelona, which is in Spain, as I'm sure most of our listeners probably know, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful city. Yeah. It's awesome, but it's not very walkable. Mm-hmm. So there's one main con- convention center, uh, the Grand Fira, Fira, I think mm-hmm. it's Fira. And mm-hmm. then a lot of my other appointments were sort of distributed out through the city, right? Mm-hmm. So I had a taxi everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So there's some stories that I did, like one, for example, was this short 45-minute appointment with, with the company. Um, and it took me three hours to get yep. there and get back to the convention center. So mm-hmm. that was something that I didn't really expect. Uh, stuff took a lot longer than I thought it would mm-hmm. because of that. Um, but yeah, it's it's very much not really a consumer-focused event. It's all about business and business dudes making connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now before we go further, I should note, um, you're missing Ian. Uh, he's currently handling a meltdown with his kids, so he could not attend. Um, so please send your child coming vibes to Ian, uh, but we'll get right into it. So the G5 was obviously the LG G5, I should say, was the uh, first phone announced, um, you know, or was the kind of the kickoff. Um, what was your takeaway from the conference? The G5, um, I think, is exactly what LG needed to do. Mm-hmm. The G4, I mean, was relatively well received, but it had problems. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure you've used it, the back buttons are a little hard to finagle yeah. and uh, it, it had like a plastic body which mm-hmm. didn't sort of I know I know there's a leather back in each by two but the build quality just didn't stand up to the S7 um, mm-hmm. so this features uh, I, I think it's made of steel it's a steel unibody 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it also has a port on the bottom that we wrote about a ton of times over the weeks leading up to that at MWC mm-hmm. um, that they're calling their friends modular port. So mm-hmm. this port allows, like, batteries can be plugged into it. Um, a camera adapter can be plugged into it as well that turns the, uh, the phone into, like, a point-and-shoot, which sounds kind of silly, um, but mm-hmm. someone who's interested in photography, it was... It's nice to have those, like you could have zoom right on the side of it, yeah. as well as the on-off switch. Um, it also has super high-end specs that match the S7. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to have the instant battery and have the A20. Yeah, and that's specific module, like it adds actual battery, additional battery power to the device. So that's kind of interesting from that mm-hmm. perspective. I think at that point, it's like something a 4,000 plus uh mah yeah and i think that's huge like a lot of people i personally just would prefer to plug my phone in and charge it mm-hmm. um i'm not i don't guess i guess subscribe to the idea of carrying around an extra battery but mm-hmm. i know a lot of people do yes yeah. readers have told me that on twitter and in mm-hmm. the comment section that that's something that they like to do mm-hmm. so i think it's cool that lg listened to fan criticism of of the g5 mm-hmm. uh, of the g4 i mean yeah and sort of worked with that and added that to their phones and i also like, I, I did a comparison piece between the, the G5 and the S7 as well as the S7 Edge, and mm-hmm. I sort of lean more to the S7 just because I prefer the design. It felt like a really refined, high-quality device. Yeah. Um, and the G5 was great, but it, it looked a little weird. I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw pictures of it, what you thought about yeah, it. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, just looking at pictures ahead of time uh, when the leaks were coming out and even the ones that, you know, you were sending back to me, it kind of looks very unfinished. And I, I don't know what other way to describe it. Like um, something about that uh, metal unibody just looks like it hasn't been like, you know, manufactured to the end. Yeah. Like the camera bump on it's really weird too. It's pretty, it's not, it's not as pronounced, but it's, it's it covers a wide area of the phone, right? Yeah. Has those two those two lenses, um, which you wrote about a bunch of times with some of your pieces, which is cool. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's an eight megapixel wide angle lens. Yeah. Which is a cool little I guess I guess it's a gimmick, but for people that are in photography, that's pretty pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, those extra yeah. wide selfies, my friend. Yeah. Yes, very wide selfies. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it's I wouldn't say it's an ugly device by any means, mm-hmm. but just sitting like looking at pictures of the S7 and the G5 beside. Beside each other, I would like pick the S7 every time. It just looks more refined, mm-hmm. um, a sleeker looking device. Even the Edge, I, I don't really like the Edge. I prefer the, the regular S7. But, yeah, um, it definitely looks more re- more refined than the Edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you got hands on with both of those phones. Um, yeah. What was like the performance like? I mean, you know, obviously this is new tech with the Snapdragon A20. Uh, did you feel it was, uh, you know, like? I love my Android phone, but I feel like almost every Android phone that that Android lag eventually comes crops up, right? Where it starts to chug a bit. Um, so, what was what was the experience like? So, I, I should mention that both devices were not like the finished actual yeah. uh, versions, mm-hmm. um, and I spent more time with the S7. I was actually able to take it out for an afternoon. Yep, I went up to this this park in uh, Barcelona called Park Well, mm-hmm. where I, I like filmed some footage of it. Um, and I spent way more time with that device, and mm-hmm. I didn't run into any issues. The, the focus on the camera was super quick. Mm-hmm. I played a couple games on it. They were fine. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. Like you were just saying, with Android phones, you do have to use them for, for a, a long while time, yeah. before you start to experience that lag and those issues that you don't see as much with iPhones. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the thing. Like We're going to have to get our hands on it. We're going to have to... That's why we write those six-month-later yeah. pieces, right? So yeah. 
we're going to have to get our hands on it and uh, use it for a couple months and see what happens. But mm -hmm. my initial impressions of both phones in terms of performance was there's no problems. Mm -hmm. Nothing nothing went wrong with either of them. Mm -hmm. um, they were both great as far as I could tell. Um, so just to return to the G5, um, obviously, you know, a big part of their announcement were the Friends accessories. Um, you know, you joked about the one that uh, the ball that'll let you annoy your cat. Uh, but I think... Sp uh, speaking for almost everyone, the most interesting was the LG 360 VR. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Uh, what the experience was like? Yeah, I thought the. I think it's interesting that every smartphone smartphone manufacturer sees VR sort of as a way to drive smartphone sales. Because mm -hmm. this this one, similar to the to the Gear, it, it doesn't double. Like you don't use the G5 as a screen, right? But yeah. you have to plug the. Uh, uh, sorry, the, the 360 VR into the G5, so it's like its power source. The mm -hmm. same as like a high-end PC's Oculus or Vive's power source. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess my big takeaway is that it was really comfortable. It's super mm -hmm. light. Other headsets are pretty heavy and bulky. Mm -hmm. Like um, the gear is very top-heavy. Like when you have mm -hmm. it on your face, yep. it feels like something you have on your face. Uh, this felt more like regular glasses. Yeah. Um, the resolution was impressive. Uh, I can't remember what the specific numbers were. It was. Yeah, the pixel density, from what I remember reading your post, was it was, um, and don't quote me on this, but I feel like you said it was um, very similar, or not. It was, it was, so I actually have it right here. So yeah. it was 960 by 720 screen size, and mm -hmm. the displays are only 128 inches. Yeah. And because they're smaller, yeah. they have a higher pixel density. Of course, yeah. Of the 638. So you could still see those pixels, like mm -hmm. the, the same way that you could with the Gear VR, but they were less pixels. Yeah. Which I think is cool. And you also noted, uh, because it is smaller, it doesn't completely shut out uh, light coming in. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the issues, too. Um, part of it's because I'm, like, on a convention center show floor with a uh, LG rep yelling at me, telling me to put my hands in the air because it was a roller coaster demo that I was experiencing. Oh, okay. So I was moving around a lot. But, um, yeah, it was almost like the seal on it wasn't as good as other headsets that I'd use. The yeah. gasket, I guess, is what you call it that goes around it. Yep. Um, wasn't didn't block out light as much as the Oculus or Gear VR. Um, again, this is like a pre-release build, so they mm -hmm. might fix that in the future. Who knows? But that was one of the sort of issues that I had it had with it. And I guess the other thing is software. Mm -hmm. Like um, LG says that cardboard apps will run on it. Mm -hmm. um, I think they'll probably need to be optimized for it. They haven't talked about that yet because this is a different platform. It's not running on cardboard. Mm -hmm. um, and they also didn't show off any cardboard apps. Yeah. So how long? How long were you using the uh, LG VR? I used it for about uh, probably about ten minutes. That's all the minutes. demo was. And the demo that they had, I guess mm -hmm. I should describe it, was um, like a roller coaster. Yeah. So you're just on a roller coaster, following the track, and you're able to look up and stuff. And it was great. It was super sharp. Mm -hmm. The head tracking was very responsive. The demo was cool. Um, they had like motion chairs in between you too, which mm -hmm. obviously you're not going to have when you actually buy it. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what was kind of my main takeaway was the fact that there was no other software to really show off. Yeah. There was, like, the standard, here's, like, I, I can't remember what it was, but they, they had, like, different famous locations in the world, like a static mm -hmm. image that you could look around of, yeah. like, 360 uh, view of it. But there was no other games, there was no other software. So it seems like it's still really early days for the device. Yeah, so one of the questions I had, you know, t we, you and I, we went to check out the uh, Vive several months back, and um, the kind of experience I had coming out, it was an amazing experience, but I could not imagine myself wearing that thing for more than 15, 20 minutes at most, just because 
your the front of your face gets drenched in sweat. Um, so what was the experience of like that? Was is that something you can see yourself wearing? Potentially, you know, like I I remember we talked on our Slack channel, and you're like, "Well, I have this Gear VR, but I don't have a Samsung phone. I wish I could have one so I could watch just movies." on the uh, plane, right? Yeah, I, I think under certain circumstances, I would use it on the go for long periods of time. Like, mm-hmm. um, I, that's how, the way I got my hands on that extra gear VR is Samsung gave them to everyone yeah. who attended their festival mission for living conference. Yep. Um, and I was like packing up my stuff at three in the morning for a six o'clock flight. And I'm like, well, I wish I had an S6 with me right now mm-hmm. because I would totally load a few movies onto it yeah. or watch Netflix, uh, actually with but mm-hmm. I, was, I was going to use it because it's a good way to escape the uh, six crying babies that were on the flight yeah. with me. Um, so I, I think under certain circumstances, I would use a VR headset for a long period of time. But so far, like I, even with the Gear VR, like I have one at home, mm-hmm. um, and I use it for like a half hour, forty five minutes, and I almost feel like that's too much because you're so disconnected from the world, right? Yes. Yeah. Very this this off putting experience when you take it off. I tried, mm-hmm. I tried the Vive again um, when I was at MWC and the 360, uh, LG360. And mm-hmm. both times, like, you forget that you're in this detention center surrounded by thousands and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And you take it off, and it's this very, like, jarring thing where, oh, wait, I'm not in this experience. Yeah. I'm not out of it. I don't know. It's hard to explain. You have to – you've tried it, so I think you know what I mean. Yeah. But for listeners, um, VR is very much this thing that you need to try to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. My takeaway from just reading your hands on is in some way, I feel um, all of these headsets right now are very much compromised. You know, obviously, with the Gear VR, you need a physical phone to put into the headset, but that makes it uh, really bulky, uh, top heavy. Um, the LG VR is somewhat more interesting, but it still needs to be tethered to the phone. Yeah. Uh, so. Just try and imagine that was a bit strange to me and how well that will work out. Like, I can, I don't know what mechanism they're using to secure the the USB cable or HDMI I cable. Could, I couldn't even see how they did it. They, yeah. They didn't show us that half of it. Yeah. Um, so the version that I was running might not even be on a compact disc. Mm. Like, it's possible. Um, but yeah, that'll be one of the issues for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the only takeaway I had from it was, you know, I've read that. Um, Apple has a, a secret kind of team working on some kind of VR solution. And uh, during their last earnings call, you know, Tim Cook was asked about VR and he was very kind of nonchalant about it and just said it, he thought it was interesting and definitely not something that's a niche. Uh, but it feels to me until, you know, an Apple or in a Google comes out and really kind of kind of sorts through all these issues. Takes it more seriously. Yeah, it takes it, like, it doesn't just, like, see it as some kind of accessory. Not that I don't think these companies see it as an accessory or as, um, you know, to their smartphones, but um, there's still a lot of things that need to be kind of, you know, kind of sussed out before this really becomes some kind of mainstream technology. And I really do believe, well, you know, obviously Facebook has a huge... Uh, stake in it and we'll talk about Facebook but um, really do feel like it's going to take an Apple or a Google to really figure it out um, but speaking of VR uh, you were at uh, the Samsung um, press conference which if you haven't been on the internet everyone I'm, uh, and if you've been living under a rock I should say uh, you 
not seen that amazing picture of Mark Zuckerberg walking down the aisle, uh, smiling while everyone is wearing at the conference is wearing uh, uh, Gear VR. All but actually one person. Well, two people. If uh, if you looked at our gallery, uh, yeah. Patrick was one of the few who decided he had enough of the virtual reality and he wanted to see the real world. So do you want to talk a bit yeah, about yeah, that sure. experience because it's a great anecdote? So I, I think um, first of all, I guess I, I was impressed with Samsung's presentation. Yeah, they knew, knew they wanted to do something different from what we typically see from Apple and like Google at I/O and the mm-hmm. stuff that we've seen in the past. So they had this this rectangular stage set up, I guess, to go yeah. off the whole idea of VR. And uh, the various executives would walk around the stage talking to each corner of it. Okay. And there was different parts where um, they told you to put the VR headsets on. And this was the sort of um, logistically incredible way, like I don't know how else to describe it, mm-hmm. was that they had a VR VR headset for every person in the room. Yeah. And there's about 5,000 people there, I think, yeah. between four and 5,000. So there was a VR headset hooked up through their streaming system for every single person. And I, I just thought that was, like, insane. Like, how long that would have taken to set up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, 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 the specific situation that you're referring to is, um, I don't remember what it was, but there's some sort of demo. They said, put on the headsets, um, and at the end of the demo, there will be a surprise. Mm-hmm. So it was nearing the end of the demo. I think it was just, like, I think it was a, a demo of a kid bouncing a soccer ball around or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't think anything's going to happen to this. So I'm going to take my headset off and see what's going down. Um, and as I was taking it off, I heard, like, gasps from the crowds of people. Yeah. And this was because Mark Zuckerberg, Berg of Facebook CEO, um, as I'm sure everyone knows, was walking onto the stage, uh, which I guess is, like, a huge get for, for Samsung to have someone mm-hmm. of that caliber show up at their, their press conferences. But what was amusing, surprising, and also kind of ridiculous was that people mobbed the stage. Like, there was journalists, and it's not all, I, it's not all journalists in attendance, there's some like Samsung fans, yeah. as well as um, like the business side of things as well, were r- rushing the stage, like trying to take pictures of them, like it was a TMZ yeah. sort of thing or something like that, like paparazzi imitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of amusing and, and terrifying to see. And I think it threw uh, Zuckerberg off a little bit mm-hmm. because he looked a little nervous and taken back by the response from people. Yeah, but yeah, the, the, it was it was kind of a. It's now a famous moment, right? Like, there's yeah. that Verge story about it, of him walking on the stage with, with all these people with their headsets on. Yeah. But I, I saw him walk on, and, like, everyone else took their headsets off right away, too. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, a, it was a cool moment. I think it's definitely something that people are going to remember for mm-hmm. a long time. Even the, the moment when everyone first put on their headsets, I, I stood up, took out my DSLR, and, and snapped a picture, but I think I had snapped it to yeah. our Instagram account. Um, and that resulted in, like, this really dope picture of just, like the scary future of everyone wearing these headsets all the time. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah. Uh, but the conference itself, obviously they announced uh, the S7 and uh, it's simply the S7 Edge going into Mobile World Congress. You know, there had been some uh, rumors that we'd see three phones. Thankfully, Samsung seems to have kind of dialed back its shotgun approach to just like, you know, shooting the wall and seeing what sticks. Um Impressions of the S7, you obviously, as you mentioned before, that's the one phone you had uh, significantly more hands-on time with than the G5. Yeah, I, I really like the S7. I think it's a great-looking device. Uh, for Samsung, this is, I always compare it to the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very much an active refinement for mm-hmm. them this year. And I compare it to the iPhone just because, to me, the S7 is kind of like the S6S. Like, yeah. obviously, we need to spend more time with it, but 
it's very much an iterative. Like it's waterproof. I did like a little thing where I poured I poured water on it, which was mm-hmm. super fun. I was a little scared to totally submerge it because it was a pre-release build of the device. But mm-hmm. um, with the S7, to me, it's very much like an iterative thing. Snapdragon mm-hmm. um, A20. A20. In the States and the uh, Exynos here yeah, in Canada, Exynos as we confirmed, yeah. And I think, I, I know some people are down on that fact, but doesn't the Exynos get better <clears throat> benchmarks for us? So for, so for the people, you know, the kind of crux of their argument is that um, the Exynos processor makes it much more difficult to install custom software, for instance, like Cyogen mod. Um, I think for the vast majority of people, um, really, they're not going to really care. Um, um, I know, like, our colleague Alex Davies, who's kind of talked, uh, who's written posts for us, um, he was on Twitter saying that uh, the Snapdragon 820 has a better GPU, whereas the uh, Exynos processor is going to give you better overall performance. Um, you know, obviously, we have to kind of see these or get significant time with these phones to kind of really gauge that. I will say, you know, um, last year, it turned out that it was a great decision for Samsung not to include a Snapdragon just because... Um, it ran the, so hot. The A10, yeah. It just famously was not, you know, I think it was a big step back for Qualcomm in a lot of ways. Um, we'll have to see, you know, how the A20 plays out. Obviously, it's not in any device that you can buy right now. Um, I think the average person is not going to... Yeah, they're not going like to... The no. average consumer is going to have... They're just going to be happy that there's no camera bump. Yeah. Um, that, that was cool. waterproof. That you know that has an SD card slot. And uh, the design is also like a little bit more sleeker too. Like the edges. Yeah. I took a bunch of pictures of them. You can find them on mm-hmm. our mobile surf. The the edges of it are a little more rounded. Mm-hmm. It's not this. It's not as rounded as it would be with the edge. Obviously, there's no edge mm-hmm. for the for the regular S7. But it gives the phone sort of a sleeker form factor. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I will say. Um, I will, I am a bit disappointed that they've kind of, you know, Samsung had that, their kind of own blue coloring, um, and I really like the white S6. Um, made it stand out. It made it way. stand out, right? And as I've said before, I actually have no issue with the camera bump. I actually, I think it adds a lot of kind of visual interest to what is otherwise a very plain phone. Um, so, um, but, you know, for the people, and there are a significant amount that the bump was kind of a deal breaker. I think this is, you know, if you haven't upgraded, you're like on a Galaxy Nexus or something or yeah. or like an S3, I don't even know. This phone is is going to be amazing for you, right? Yeah, that, that's the thing for me. I think I don't think a lot of people are going to want to upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From the, from the S6, mm-hmm. the S7, um, or the S7 Edge, yeah, but I think people that are maybe like on the fence, waiting for a new Android phone, this might be the phone they're looking for. And I also think that it's cool that Samsung differentiated the Edge and the uh, the regular S7 in terms of size. Like 
mm -hmm. regular size is 5.1 inches. Mm -hmm. The edge is 5.5 inches. Yeah. Some people prefer larger clubs. Mm -hmm. I've sort of fallen into that camp. Like I'm rocking a 6P right now. Yeah. Um, which is enormous. I think it's 5.7 inches. Yeah. But I think with the 5.1 inches on the S7, they've struck like an almost perfect balance. Like that phone doesn't. Sometimes the 6P feels too big in my hand. Yeah. Um, the S7 felt perfect. Just, mm -hmm. just the sizing, everything about it. It didn't feel too small. It didn't feel too big. It felt like the perfect balance. And I think that that's cool that Samsung has put a, a differentiating factor between the edge and the regular version, more so than just the, mm -hmm. the, the edge feature on the camera. Like I still, I'm going to have to get my hands on the S7 Edge. I, still, I just don't think that it makes, makes sense. Like I know they've expanded it now. I think the edge is bigger, and I believe you can fit more apps. Mm -hmm. But... But I, I just, like for me, I just don't see how that's useful. Like I'll just open my regular app drawer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's 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 a very it's a very promising device, but I think it might only appeal to a very select individual. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I will say as someone who's rocking the 5X, um, obviously the regular Galaxy S7 appealed to me just because it's smaller. Right? smaller. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel this, this is like the perfect size for a phone. Obviously, some people would disagree, and in a lot of ways, the market has kind of moved towards bigger is better. Um, so, um, I think, but that, until, as we said, until we get these phones, that about kind of sums up what we can say about them. I think yeah, they both him. look really promising, uh, especially on LG's side. This is what they needed to do. Um, yeah, the, like, like I, I picked the S7 as my win of yeah. that, that battle, but I also... Mm -hmm. Think that LG deserves credit for doing something different. Yeah, very different. Um, totally, like I, the, the the modular thing could be like a big game changer mm -hmm. in the smartphone industry if it takes off. Yeah, whether it will or not, we, we don't know, right? But it, it could be. You can't fault them for trying, yeah, right? Um, and like I said, this is something the company needed to do, especially coming after uh, coming out of the uh, G4, um, mm -hmm. and it's something that you know, other Android uh, OEMs need to do just because the market is so saturated at this point and so mature that it's really difficult for um, any company not named Samsung to stand out, <laughs> you know? Because to so many people, Android is Samsung. Yeah. It's like they go into a Rogers or Bell store and... Between they, they, iPhone yeah, and Edge. Yeah, and, they're going to pick an iPhone or they're going to pick a Samsung device yeah. and they don't, they might not care. Like, that's the other thing too, we're going to have to see how much the S7 costs contract um so we actually know and it's it's oh, we do. yeah it's it's pretty significant um let me just pull up the story but um yeah i've, I've been out of the loop yeah you've been out in barcelona uh, barcelona excuse me for the last little while um can't find the article right now but off the top of my head I, you know i do think it's like something like four hundred dollars on a two-year on a on a two years that's not that bad that's less than i thought it was going to be yeah, so let me just double check. Uh, I I think I think that's going to be a defining factor for a lot of people as to whether or not mm -hmm. they, they want to upgrade it. Like how much is it going to end up costing total? Because if it's if it's a ton of money, no one's going to want to do it. But if it's relatively affordable, it's possible that some people might opt to upgrade from the S six to the mm -hmm. to the S seven. We'll have to see how that plays out. Um, do, we, do we have pricing for the G five too? Uh, I don't believe we have pricing on the G5, um, just because the the S7 is going to launch sooner. So uh, at Bell, for instance, the uh, S7 is $899 on a no-term. 
uh, and $399.99 on a two-year contract. Um, the Edge, as is, as was the case last year, it's $100 more. So on a two-year term, it's $499. Um, that's still quite a bit to pony up right up front. Um, I mean, the issue here in Canada is that it doesn't really make sense to buy phones outright anymore just because... Yeah. Um, all these carriers have gotten rid of their bring your own device benefit plan. So there's no point in bringing your own. Like that's what, happened, that's what happened to me when um, when you when I bought the 6P, I ended mm-hmm. up I think I'm financing it almost. Yeah. Through uh, the tab, yeah. Through through um, Trudeau's tab program. Um, but you know what I think um, this the excuse me the price of the S7 speaks to is just the need for more affordable phones. And unfortunately, there weren't that many uh, that were specifically coming to Canada. Yeah, that was one of the things that was that makes Mobile uh, World Congress hard to cover as a Canadian publication. Like we mm-hmm. obviously do kind of like world and U.S. related stuff, but when we're doing hands-on with devices, it only makes sense for us to cover phones that will eventually come to Canada. So there was like like uh, Huawei showed stuff off, but mm-hmm. they didn't give a clear indication whether any of this stuff was coming to Canada. The same with um, uh, Xiaomi or Xiaomi? Uh, they're Chinese manufacturers. Yeah, they're Chinese OEM. They showed off like a cool high-end, low-cost phone that I didn't bother checking out because yeah. it's, it's not going to come here. Um, uh, and excuse me, it was Xiaomi, I believe. Xiaomi uh, is yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm sure we're going to have some Chinese native speakers who are going to contact me right <laughs> I'm after. Sure. Uh, uh, please do uh, educate this ignorant white person. Yes, that's uh, not how you actually say it. Um, <clears throat> But so one of the few phones, though, uh, and it was actually three phones uh, from Sony, they announced the uh, the X Performance, which in a lot of ways ex- uh, replaces the uh, Z5 as their current flagship or soon to be flagship. Um, they announced the the X Xperia or Xperia X, excuse me, and the Xperia XA. Um, <clears throat> so as I said, the uh, X Performance is their new flagship. It has the Snapdragon A20. Um, the more kind of interesting phone, especially in kind of the Canadian context, is the Xperia X. Um, <clears throat> it's one of the new uh, Snapdragon uh, 600 series uh, um, processors. Uh, it's one of the higher end ones uh, that they just recently re- rebranded. The exact model number just escapes me right now. Uh, but it has their latest sensor. Um, that's actually an improvement of, over what was on the Z5, which if you go on sites like DxO Mark, um, the Z5 is currently considered one of the best, if not the best, um, uh, smartphone cameras on an Android phone. And this is the camera sensor you're talking about? Yeah, so the, uh, the uh, Xperia X Performance and Xperia X, they're going to both launch with sensors that are better than what's in the... Uh, and they're also going to have much better uh, front-facing cameras. Um, <clears throat> aside from that, you know, very kind of similar specs from Sony we've seen in the last couple of years. It's still 1080p display, 5 inches. Um, so kind of features their design, mm-hmm. which I'm a fan of, and I know you're a fan of. Yeah, for sure. I really liked, uh, despite my issues with the Z5, I really yeah. liked it. I thought it, it's a unique-looking phone. Mm-hmm. And like a sea of Android devices that are black slabs of plastic or, or steel. It stood out as being a different yeah, and you know Sony. Um, you know I love Sony products. Um, my uh, A six thousand, I you know, 
that's I feel like one of the best cameras I've ever owned. Um, and like that camera, you know, when you pick up a Sony phone, it really does, especially one of the higher end ones, it really does feel like a lot of care and thought went into kind of the manufacture of it. Um, and lastly, you know, the X8, that's a MediaTek uh, processor. Um, usually MediaTek processor or phones with MediaTek processors don't come to Canada. Uh, but we spoke to a representative with Sony and they say said all three phones are coming to Canada later this year. Uh, and particularly those two phones, the latter two, are exciting just because um, I think the, the X is going to be really appealing to a lot of people because it kind of hits um, all those, has a great processor, has an amazing camera, has really nice design, um, and it's going to come with Android Marshmallow. Um, and... Likewise, with the, the XA, I'm not so sure about. It feels like more of an entry phone. Um, but the X, you got some hands times or hands-on time with it. Do you want to talk about it, a bit about it? Yeah, the I went hands-on with the X. The, they had the performance there as well as the XA, but they were attached to a table. Yeah. So you couldn't pick it up and move it, yeah. which is bizarre. And I don't really understand why. And it almost makes me wonder if they were like the legit actual builds of the phone or if they were just like slabs of plastic with a screen yeah. inside of you. Know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it, it was a, uh, it felt great. It had a steel unibody, so it didn't mm -hmm. have the glass that the Z5 featured, mm -hmm. um, which I think might have been one of the Z5's issues, was the, you know how the, the frosted, the, the yeah. frosted back, I, I think it made it a little more, um, uh, I guess, susceptible to scratches. Yeah. It also had issues with like the sides of it separating from, yep. from the glass. So this was a steel unibody. It felt like a much solider device. Um, the camera app crashed like three times when I tried to use it, but this is, of course, like, uh, pre-release software. Um, there's, yeah. there's also strangely no mention of fingerprint scan in the software. Like you couldn't yeah. set it up or anything. That's probably because it's pre-release. Um, there is a fingerprint scanner located on the side of it. Uh, but but overall, like it was very similar to the Z5. I think the big shift is that it feels a, it features a steel unibody and its corners are a little more rounded. So yeah. it's a less rectangular device. It's more. Um, it's, it's more rounded, I guess. But it, it mm -hmm. felt... It, I liked it. I think mm -hmm. it's cool. But like everything, like I need to play with things here. Yeah. Before I can like give full judgment on it. Yeah. Um, you, did you... Right, you said the camera apps crashed, which, you know, to some extent, it's not surprising to me just because Sony's uh, first-party camera app has always been, I feel, oh, yeah. janky. The Z5 uh, one? Yeah. So that was like one of the first things I did when I got my hands on it. I think you did as well yeah. as you got the camera app. Which is a shame, right? Because that camera app is specifically optimized to work with the the optics and the sensor that are in that phone and yet it is pretty garbage uh, <laughs> but um so um there were other mid-range phones that were announced uh the desire line unfortunately htc didn't really invite us to or yeah didn't, didn't get anything so we couldn't like get a hands-on with the desire line um and as we said a lot of the other phones are, are the desire devices coming yeah, so those are coming to Canada. Um, the other phones, less so. And, you know, unfortunately, like, Mobile World Congress, you know, for what it is, is um, a focus like so many of these conferences, whether it's, you know, CES has obviously become less mobile-focused, mobile but it really is on these flagship devices because those are the ones that are exciting to talk about. Um, but for, you know, the average Canadian, especially with the Canadian dollar, with what it is right now, um, I think it's really the... It's a shame that we didn't get more time on time hands on sorry time with uh, devices like the Xperia X just because um, like I said that I think it's going to be a really appealing device to a lot of people 
Um, so I think any kind of closing thoughts on Mobile World Congress? Um, something that I missed asking you about? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I think I described it pretty <clears throat> well. Mm-hmm. I guess my big takeaway is that it's, it's a huge event. Yeah. It was an exhausting experience to cover it. I haven't covered a ton of large-scale press conferences or like events. But, mm-hmm. but it's one of the largest ones that I've done. Mm-hmm. And just walking from one side to the other yeah and there's so many like halls that like if you have your appointment in hall six and you have to find like the actual booth and there's this huge it, it's like almost like they build a city within these these like yeah. little things like multiple floors like i went to this blackberry round table thing mm-hmm. um about security where there was a bunch of blackberry executives i guess most notably um the ceo's name Marty Beard. Yeah. Um, he, he was there and, and they were talking about this sort of the company's main focus on uh, IoT, Internet of Things, and mm-hmm. security, and them acquiring a UK based company called Encryption Unlimited. And they're going to move yeah. into security and consulting. And it was, it was a pretty boring roundtable. Yeah. So, well, you have a funny story. Yeah, so um, if you could share it, yeah. I will share my funny story. There's a journalist from a publication that I won't name and won't call anyone out, but he was literally falling asleep during his presentation. Yeah. Like, I was watching him out of the corner of my eye, and every once in a while he would doze off, mm-hmm. which, it was boring, and I'm sure he was dealing with the time change. But yeah. Like, stuff like that Catching happens. up on sleep, yeah. Stuff like that happens. It was just kind of funny that what BlackBerry was talking about at this, this roundtable was so, um, I guess, not consumer-focused and, and not compelling that it was, he was literally yeah. falling asleep. Yeah, you were one of eight journalists at the call, right? Yeah, I think there was between eight and maybe ten journalists there. Um, and compare that, you know, like obviously Samsung, five thousand people, yeah, 5, right? People. So, it, but but it was interesting to hear BlackBerry say that it's, it's it wants to move into the security consulting industry. Mm-hmm. Um, that that acquisition was announced at a perfect time. Um, mm. But also, like Beard said, that they're still committed to at least with hardware. So they they're doing one thing mm-hmm. and they're saying another thing. I guess yeah. that's my, my big takeaway from it. Yeah, it was a shame in in the sense that you know last year at at least at last year's Mobile World Congress, they showed what would become Priv, right? Yeah. Like, um, and Which, this year, they didn't show anything. Nothing. <laughs> right? Um, and it's especially a shame because we've seen these kind of, these leaks of these kind of BlackBerry Android phones that are coming down the line. Um, and it's strange because uh, you asked about devices. I, it might have been to Beard specifically, but you, and he said, you know, we're in this lull period between CS they call it specifically their, their quiet yeah. period, I guess. It, and, and that's what they call the time between CES and their next press conference. Yeah. So they say that they're not talking about devices until that point. Which is, just, I don't know, it's just so strange to me. Like, um, I feel like they need to get more kind of devices out to kind of you know, fill out their lineup of Android devices. Uh, just you know, as uh, we broke the news a couple of weeks ago, they basically eviscerated all of their BB10 uh, development team. But they still support BB10. Just ask them; they'll yeah, tell you but, all about it. Yeah. Um, um, the other. Um, so, if we can just move on, the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about um, the story you published this morning, um, <clears throat> kind of less mobile focused, but I think has really interesting kind of Canadian implications. Um, Ubisoft uh, is. Um, 
trying to uh, stop a takeover bid by Vivendi, I believe. I, I think it's Vivendi. Or Vivendi, or yeah, I something. believe you're right there. Vivendi. Um, <clears throat> Vivendi, if you don't know, um, they used to own uh, a big stake of Activision Blizzard. Um, eventually, and this is, you know, one of the Activision Blizzard, I think is one of, if not the biggest uh, publishers in the world. They I, think obviously, it is, I think it is you know, absolutely the biggest. Yeah, between all of Blizzard's properties, so like World of Warcraft, Hearthstone, um, Heroes of the Storm, and then the Call of Duty franchise, obviously, they produce so many of the biggest kind of selling games. Um, so they sold their stake of Activision uh, Blizzard a couple, or just kind of uh, a couple years ago. And now, for whatever reason, they want to get a stake of another company. So they've chosen uh, a company in their uh, home turf, which is Ubisoft. Um, but Ubisoft, if you don't know, operates, has a huge presence in Canada. Do you want to talk a bit about that presence? Yeah, they have, uh, Ubisoft has a studio in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, Ubisoft Quebec, which mm -hmm. is also in Quebec. I'm not specifically, I think it's in Quebec City. Yeah, Quebec um, City, yeah. Uh, there's also a studio in Toronto, and I think they also have a small satellite studio in Halifax. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that, I learned about that. Actually. Yeah. And there's 3,000 people employed at these various studios um, mm -hmm. across the country. And it, it's not clear that if like there was a Vivendi takeover that like, Ubisoft Studios might be mm -hmm. shut down or relocated. But it's like if there's a strong there's a possibility that, that is something that could happen. Yeah. So this could have significant implications on the Canadian video game industry, specifically in mm -hmm. Montreal, which is very much the center of mm -hmm. Canada's everything that happens in Canada but really the video games. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I guess the other big thing here too is that um, uh, Yves Guillermo's uh, brother mm -hmm. runs, runs Gameloft, yeah. runs Gameloft, which I also didn't know. Yeah, I, I learned that today. It's interesting. It's a video game executive family. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, Vivendi is also launching a takeover attempt on Gameloft. I think, yeah, right. So it's sort of like they're they're trying to push this this video game executive family yeah. into working with them in some way. Yeah. in terms of the takeover. Um, I don't understand the business side of the industry enough to sort of comment on that, but mm -hmm. it's it's a fascinating story, I think, and I think it's going to continue to develop over the next couple of days. Mm -hmm. So uh, what Ubisoft's doing right now is they're looking for significant Canadian investment to mm -hmm. buy up shares in Ubisoft to prevent uh, Vivendi from, I guess, doing a hostile takeover of the company and getting a majority stake mm -hmm. in yeah, and so this is the piece that's kind of interesting to me. Um, if you don't know, Canada's game industry is actually the third biggest in the world. Uh, uh, obviously, first and second, respectively, are the United States and Japan. Um, but the issue with the kind of Canadian game industry is that so little of it is actually owned by Canadians. Uh, one of you know one of our biggest uh, developers uh, is now owned by EA. That's Bioware. Um, and you see all these, you know, you talked Black Tusk, right, was another yep. one. Black Tusk in Vancouver, they make the Gears of War franchise. Yep, uh, Relic Software in Vancouver as well. Uh, they're owned by Sega. They make um, the um, Dawn of War and um, uh, Company of Heroes franchises. Uh, they made Homeworld, which is one of the most amazing strategy games ever made. Um, but a lot of it is not owned by Canadians. So, you know, one of our biggest studios in Ubisoft Montreal Um Obviously, you know, kind of the fruits, they create a lot of value for their parent company in, uh, in, uh, in France. Um, and that value kind of, you know, obviously there are these Canadian jobs 
and these people are paid really good salaries. This, you know, game development is really lucrative in that sense. Um, but, you know, besides the taxes they pay, all the revenue is kind of just goes across the ocean to France, quite literally. Um, so to me, this is kind of interesting because here's an opportunity for kind of Canadians to own more of a stake of this industry, which is only going to grow, especially with VR, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the uh, what I wanted to point out. I'm just going to be really interestingly following this story um, because I do think it is, you know, this is a chance for kind of Canada's game industry to take uh, a step in a different direction. I don't know how big the stake is that Ubisoft is trying to sell to these investors. Yeah, it's, it's unclear right now. It's, well, we know that um, the, the head of uh, Vivendi, mm-hmm. I can't remember his name, I think it's like Vincent Belair, I believe. Mm-hmm. He owns a 15% personal stake they, yeah. in Vivendi. Um, and last week, Vivendi purchased a 6.6% yeah. stake in it as well. So obviously it's higher than those two numbers. So yeah, it's a significant investment that they're looking for. Right. So obviously, you know, um, Vivendi is free to continue buying stakes, uh, additional uh, parts of the company, as long as it doesn't tally more than 51% of the company, right? Like uh, the majority shareholders, uh, Ubisoft, it seems is the, or sorry, the, uh, the family that owns Ubisoft, they want to have the 51% stake with their kind of allies here in Canada and uh, other investors. Um, so, like I said, that's a story we're going to be following. Um, aside from that, that's it for this week's uh, uh, Syrupcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, do you want to lead us out, Patrick? Yeah, sure. That's, that's it. So, yeah. next week, we'll be back again. We're going to be doing this weekly. Yeah. And, yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Have a, take it easy.